one week ago. Cat will not foul out of a game Ooh, this calendar year. The, you know, interesting. Until 2022. We all know he's foul pro. Oh, yeah. And it's probably his biggest weakness as a player. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, that's my prediction is that he will manage to stay in all the games at least until 2022. <laughs> Two days later. Because Valanciunas has five. So then the Cat offensive foul was six. So Cat's night is over. Welcome to episode 167 of Wolves Cast, the show that's more fun. 72, 280 pounds. It's hosted by myself and my brother. I'm Neil. I'm Scott. Hello. We're back in the house. Giannis is a big guy, everybody. Giannis, he's, he's, he's got some size, he's got some strength, and he has some uh, basketball abilities there. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure he, you know he actually feels that tall when you're standing next to him. <laughs> Although I did find a photo on my phone the other day of Giannis standing next to Taco Fall, and it's just really funny because Giannis looks like he's just a little kid meeting a basketball player, you know? Oh my gosh, yeah. Always, uh, oh yeah, and especially especially when you see like adult um, NBA players standing next to people who are like bigger than them, that's weird too, you know? It's like, my favorite is always Yao, because you like mm-hmm. search for a photo of Shaq standing next to Yao. It's great, Yao Mate, that is. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. always my favorite one, is players standing next to him. Or there, there was that guy who like lived in Rochester. I think he's like since passed, but he was like the one of the world's like tallest men for a long time. And he came to Target Center, and like, yeah, you know, there's a photo th- of him with Pekovic. Yeah, him and Peck standing there, and like to see a man so much bigger, like just in all different ways than Peck, like one of the you know one of the biggest guys of that era. is just like wild to see. <laughs> Remarkable, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let me think about that photo, too. Uh, but, yeah, welcome back to Wolves Cast, everybody. We out here for the second episode of the regular season. Uh, we got we got Timberwolves basketball. They're, they're, play, they're playing ball and winning games um, at the same time, which is uh, important to do. And uh, we don't really know how to deal with that right now. But we're going to we're going to we're going to do our best. You know, we're going to two do winning our... weeks in a row, baby. I oh. think there might have been two winning weeks total on last year's pod. You know, this yeah. Is... Week week two of two, and we have a, another winning record for another week. It's yeah. uh, it's worth celebrating, everybody. I know that there were some things that were aggravating over this past week that we're going to talk about, but and I know there's all the caveats about the Bucks not being at full strength, but we can't, you know, we're not so used to a success that we have to let caveats get in the way of our enjoyment. I feel like I've got uh, a setting up for the pod tonight, Neil, and I had to get all my liquids straight, you know, and water, stuff of like that. so I can sound good for the pod. And I decided to go with a bottle of champagne as well that we had opened in the fridge for a couple of weeks. So we'll see how good it is. <laughs> we, we, we put that we put that stopper in it that's supposed to seal in all the bubbles and everything like that. Yeah. But uh, I just figured, you know what? If you're not going to celebrate beating the defending champs on their home court, then you're not, you know, you should really reevaluate how you're, uh, you know, ingesting this Timberwolves season because, you know, th- these are the things that we watch the Timberwolves for. You know, we got to cheer for this kind of success. So, yes, I will celebrate beating the champs with a little champagne on tonight's pod. Yeah, the Timberwolves fans don't get to, um, you know, we haven't been doing doing that well for uh, enough time to really, you know, to be able to sit back on this one and be like, well, that one doesn't matter. How can how can a 
accounts. Like, come on, you know. Like, we're a very uh, good fan it. base with caveats because we're so used to like uh-huh. not getting our hearts broken. We're like, okay, this team has started well, but we know that for X's and for reasons X, Y, and Z, this isn't sustainable and stuff. So we're always looking for the way they're going to hurt us next. But I'm saying <laughs> that's not a fun way to live in a relationship. Let's uh, let's just celebrate the good times right now. Exactly. Well, uh, thank you everybody for joining us uh, here for this show. We got we got a packed one for you. We're going to talk about more about that Bucks game um, and the, the incredible uh, to this point Minnesota defense, um, and then look at some of the lineups and rotations here in uh, full court press. Um, and then we have a sponsor. Always have wonderful sponsors on this show. Uh, we're gonna get to power rankings for the first time uh, this year, and uh, you know, look at uh, some of the players who didn't get ranked in the in the top twenty five Timberwolves players of all time uh, list that the Star Tribune put out. Uh, we got weekly Wolfies. We got a game. And since, you know it. It's and since that list is from the Star Tribune, you know it's basically what Glenn Taylor thinks about the players because yes. he owns the Star Tribune. So. Yeah, it's it's uh, he he just emailed uh, Michael Rand said here's the list print it right exactly Um, that's how that goes but before we get to all that we got to recap the week scott so uh let's let's look at what happened this week and uh how how did the wolves do uh but you you mentioned a little bit there but uh did, did they perhaps win more games than they lost uh let me check it doesn't sound right looking at my notes and yes we did we won two games lost only one you know i would say we Won two games we probably shouldn't have won, and we lost a game we should have won. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Started last uh, Saturday with the win um, against New Orleans, 96-89, and then uh, as a you know something that's going to be a little more um, you know common, I think, across sports and especially in the NBA is the the back to back. So uh, they had a day off on Sunday, but they played the exact same team in the exact same gym on Monday against the Pelicans. Uh, but lost that one, 98-107, and uh, you know, then uh, thankfully rebounded and got a got a steely, got a um, you know a signature win, maybe even we can we can talk about that in a little bit uh, in Milwaukee, as we mentioned, um, Wednesday night, 113-108 was the final there. But uh, yeah, what do we think of uh, that, this week? I had that game spoiled for me because my friends Ooh. who don't normally text about the Timberwolves start texting me like, oh my God, you beat the Bucks! Wow, and they're going to the playoffs, you know? Yeah, something like, similar right. happened to me without like, they didn't, the person that texted me did not use, um, you know, that explicit of language of like, here's what happened. But they did text me with excitement about the Timberwolves and, uh, you know that that's how it goes. It's kind of a strange thing because you know, as Wolves fans, we don't really get that that very often. That's what, that's how you know it's uh, something special or different is happening here. Is you get people, you know, friends who don't normally talk Wolves with you, kind of coming out of the woodwork to be like, "Oh, look at this," you know. So that's what I knew. Something was fishy, and that fishy thing was probably the Wolves won a basketball game. Well, it wasn't entirely my fault because this friend, hey Josh, texted the baseball group chat, not the basketball group chat, so I thought I was safe. Thought he was going to be talking about his Atlanta Braves being in the World Series, and no. It was a compliment about the Timberwolves. <laughs> That's nice. Well, yeah, there you go. Well, Scott, you and I um, attended the second half of a basketball game. On, I attended uh, the full game. You attended you, the second half. That's right. You, um, We went to the game together on Saturday, and uh, my buddy MC Lars was playing down the street at the Skyway Theater, so I caught his set, and then I went over Target Center at halftime, and we enjoyed the second half of the game together. Some nice seats provided by the Timberwolves. That was really cool. Um, and yeah, really good seats. I mean, when you sit right down, you know, we were in the first like 10 rows or whatever, and 
you know, against any team, just to see NBA basketball that close is, is just incredible. So especially after the long break it's been since, you know, you know, I've been back to cover Lynx games, you know, uh, this summer. But Scott, has it been like two years or something like that since you've been in, in, in Target Center to watch a game? Uh, yeah, I mean, probably not quite two years because I think I probably went to some in Spring February of 20, or maybe yeah. even March right before the pandemic happened. But uh, yeah, it had been a long time. I didn't go to any games last year. And so... One, I forgot like how thrilling it is, really. Like I was watching Ant dunk right in front of me and stuff, and I was just like getting so hyped up and <laughs> I kind of forgot like one that you can get hyped up like that at sports games and like how exciting <laughs> it is and how and like I was just like, Wow, I really forgot. I, I really seem to put it out of my mind just like how great it is to watch basketball live like oh my god I somehow it must have been like a you know a self-defense mechanism from my brain to make it seem like you know we want you to stay indoors we don't want you to be risking yourself by going out so we're going to intentionally forget how exciting it is to see live basketball but boy did I remember and also, it was just kind of weird because I have not been in a building with that many people. It was right. pretty full. The lower bowl, at least, was pretty full. And there's a lot of people upstairs, too. And it's just like, wow, I don't think I've sat this close to this many people in a year and a half. So that was also kind of just like a head trip. Yeah, the first time you get back to something like that is a, is a little strange. Um, but yeah, Wolves, you know, playing playing the, you know, like we said, the Pelicans on both Saturday and Monday. And both games were a little, a little hairy, I would say, right? Like a lot of... A lot of missed shots, you know, both teams, you know, just, just firing away from three and just clanking a lot. And, you know, obviously. Yeah, that's the, what I was thinking about after Monday's game that we lost. And I felt like, you know, if just a few things had changed on Monday's game, we should have won that one. But the Saturday game, we won and we left and we were talking about how Alexander Walker went like one for 10 from deep. And then, <laughs> uh, what's his name? Uh, not Bacon. Uh, it's. Their new guy that got from Charlotte, I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, oh, De- Devontae Graham? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, Devontae Graham. That is who I'm trying to think of. Uh, for some reason, I was thinking of that guy named Bacon, who's on yeah. the Hornets as well. But mm-hmm. uh, Devontae Graham went like one for 12, and both of them were like not covered at all. <laughs> like You remember the third quarter. You were just shaking oh, yeah. your head about all these wide-open threes the Pelicans are missing. So uh, that's what I was saying. Like After the Monday loss, I was like, well, we won one game where we should have lost, and then we lost a game that we should have won. So I guess that kind of balances out. Yeah, all the all the madness with the refs on uh, on Monday that was uh, pretty intense. Ooh. You know, Towns going on tilt as he's known to do. So uh, you know, some I, bad, I'm glad some bad I went calls, to the Saturday but... game not only because was it a win, but I felt like I might risk getting ejected from the, right. the Monday game, especially like that second foul where Towns just sent like a perfectly legal pick in transition yes. and they called it on him. I think I would have lost my cool maybe. Go! Yeah, very much a retaliation kind of call. It felt like from the refs after you know he was making such a stink, and yeah, that's that's you're right though. It, it filled the arena with uh, vitriol, and uh, <laughs> you might not have come back from that one because yeah, it, and that's that's kind of the thing. It's like with Towns, that's you know he you know he, he he creates that atmosphere. I know the fans are always looking for the call, and if it doesn't go their way, it's a boo or whatever. But like when your best player is like throwing a fit like that, it makes all the crowd like. Like, 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 be okay with like joining in on that, you know. And not to say it wasn't justified, but still, it's just a weird scene when it's like all brought on by the by your star player. So that that's a weird one. This was a costly loss in the sense that it'll cost mm-hmm. a few people lots of money and fines. Like, <laughs> yes. Finch, Pat Bev, and Cat all got teased in this game. And then yeah. there's technicals again in Milwaukee. There's been a technical like every single game. You know, yes, somebody's got to be paying all these fines, my friend. Maybe A Rod's doing it for him. You know, on this on the low, <laughs> but. 
I just think like one, it's always like super weird to like, it's just like of all the people to pick fights with, the refs never lose, you know, right, like right, right. look invincible. at what happened with Chris Paul and Scott Foster in the finals, you know, Scott yep. Foster's undefeated in my friend, Chris Paul, you're never going to beat him, <laughs> you know? So like the worst you can do is like embarrass a ref enough that the next day they say, yeah, we missed that call. Not going to change it. Doesn't change anything, but yeah, sure. We'll admit we missed that call in the last two minutes. You never win these fights. So it's just like the worst possible people that yeah, could be picking a fight with, right? Yeah, not much you can do there. And yeah, it's just uh, it's, it's not a great look because, yeah, it doesn't bode well for your reputation in the future, right? You want to you want to be someone that the, that the officials uh, respect a little bit more. So Towns has a lot right. of ground to make up uh, in, in that sense. And in terms of challenging the officials, I've also been really perplexed by Chris Finch's challenge decision so far in this season. Because I remember in preseason or maybe the first game, the broadcast was saying, oh, Chris Finch told us he'd rather go drive home with a challenge still in his pocket than to need a challenge in the final two minutes of the fourth and not have one. But I've seen him blow it in the first half on Saturday on a Patrick Beverly thing. That was correct. Pat Bev was right. You know, we got the ball back, but it was just like, well, you're choosing to use it in the first half. And then on Monday, he risked it on a Vando over the back call when both Cat and Ants were in foul trouble. And he still is like, no, I want to make sure Vando doesn't get this over the back call. It was a clear over the back. We didn't win. So it's just like, what are you doing with these challenges, man? Maybe maybe he's like, just like, he doesn't know how to like say no to his players when they're so intense in the game. <laughs> That's what well, I, think. I, I, like, I totally felt that way for Pat Bev. It's like, okay, Pat Bev's the vet. He's new on the team. Maybe you want to save that relationship by, you know, trusting him because he made a big deal out of it. But Vando didn't. So I was just yeah. mystified. Still some things to figure out uh, for the one of the newest head coaches in yeah, the NBA right. there. But, you know, obviously we had that, that win um, against Milwaukee. But that's our first topic here for Full Court Press. So let's jump on over there. Here's the tip. All right. Full court press starting right now. Uh, we've been we've been talking about it a lot, but uh, man, Wolves beat the Bucks Wednesday night, one thirteen, one oh eight. So many things from this game here. Just uh, you know, just really fun uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously the border battle, you you know, the Wisconsin Minnesota connection, right? That is kind of uh, that's always something to look at. That's always you always want to try and get that win, no matter what the sport is. You want to beat the Wisconsin team, so. You know that. That's, oh yeah, uh, and not only that, but as Ben's reminded us, the all-time series <laughs> was tied up between us: thirty-one wins to thirty-one wins. Right. Yeah. So now that the Timberwolves won last night, we have one more win in our rivalry. We've pulled forward. We have now thirty-two wins over the Bucks, and the Bucks only have thirty-one over the Wolves, which I guarantee is not a very common thing in the NBA. I, I'm positive. I haven't looked it up. I promise you, I could count the number of teams we have a winning record against on one hand. Yeah, and and um, you know, honestly, I think that's a that's a bigger uh, that's a bigger stat than or that's a bigger accomplishment than um, you know winning the NBA championship. Really, is to you know uh, be better than a Wisconsin team, you know, be one game over. So the Wolves did it right. They don't really they don't have much to play for the rest of the season. They beat the Bucks in Wisconsin. That's why, I, so. that's why I'm drinking champagne right now. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, but yeah, this was another uh, nice thing about this win was that it was wire to wire. Uh, First time, once again, Ben's waiting all game with the stat. I love it. I love it, Ben. So that's what I do on this pod too. I have a bunch of stats I want to drop. You know, I've got got a couple lined up for later, Neil. But uh, Ben's was ready. He said this is the first time in fist fist fifth serve, uh, five serve, Fitz, five serve. Yeah, forum the new Milwaukee Bucks arena. First time in that arena's history where the Bucks never had a lead at one point in the game. Wire to wire victory for the Wolves. Boom! There you go. 
Um, but yeah, the, the you know it, it's not an excuse, but uh, you know the Bucks in this one missing. I would say two of their you know three best defensive players. You know, Brooke Lopez and uh, Drew Holiday, and that really kind of set the tone for what this game could be, especially, you know, coming at the one of my, the most impressive thing beyond beating the world champs in this game to me was just that the Wolves responded so well from the disappointment of, of Monday and getting out-rebounded so blatantly, um, you know, and just the whole size issue kind of feels like it's going to be something we talk about all season, and to have the the team kind of come out and, and even play, you know, against an undersized um, Bucks team, you know, but the way they did it, I thought it was just so impressive the way their their guards were rebounding and getting in there, you know, even, you know, not a guard, but Jaden McDaniels getting in there after only having a couple rebounds on that Monday night game. He had like six or something like that in this game, six, seven. I think he so, had more. I got the stats here. Yeah. Uh, we got Vanderbilt yeah. had 13 rebounds. Jaden McDaniels had 11. So those oh. two were the real... Yeah, you know, big bodies coming in and making a difference. And yeah, they may have stolen a few from Cat, but that's what you get with that aggression. I'm fine with that, you know. Yeah, we yeah, can't be worried about that at all. I mean, you just got to get the board. That's the, you know, it's that's the way more important, uh, you know, objective there. Um, so that was just really impressive to me to see the team bounce back, no matter who they were going to play against in this game after them. You know, to be able to really, um, you know, kind of just just change the narrative there a little bit, and then. You know, I'll let you get in here, Scott, but piggybacking off what we were talking about before to have Towns, you know, shut his mouth and just turn it, turn, turn the other cheek, uh, so to speak, uh, as far as the refs go. And, you know, Jim Peterson talked about it throughout the game, which I really appreciated. But, you know, the, the demeanor of Towns really does matter. And, um, you know, he, he really turned that around in this game as well. So both of those things I just thought were just such huge developments after the letdown on Monday. Yeah, I mean, starting first, I think, with what you were saying, with the energy and kind of poise that we came into this game with, I think it fits the narrative. You know, we've all heard the narrative, and usually it's wrong because we're always terrible, but the narrative after the Pelicans' loss was that it was a very testy practice the next day. Oh, yeah. Guys were really angry at each other and really, you know, bringing that energy and bringing that honesty into practice. And so... And of course, I just rolled my eyes and said, yeah, sure, whatever. You know, we hear about that, what happened at practice all the time. But then to see them come out with that kind of focus and energy and resolve against the Bucks, I was like, well, it really does look like they had a pretty good practice, you know? Yeah, that seems like it was actually the real deal. Some people were uh, upset after that loss. You'd like to see that. Um, I mean, we beat we beat the Bucks on the glass, 49 rebounds to their 43. I guarantee wow. you that's not going to happen more than five times this season. <laughs> so let's let's really be happy about that. I mean, we played the Rockets four times, so maybe – I mean, they out-rebounded us in our first matchup. But what I'm saying is we're not going to win the rebounding battle a whole but, lot. So that was impressive. I was not <laughs> feeling great about Cat's attitude towards the ref in this game, actually. Like, it's fun to see. I loved it, and I hope he continues to do it. If he continues to do it, I'll believe him. But it just felt very performative to me. Like, him sure. just being like... it. You don't change... You know, I said a leopard don't change its spots like Sawyer from Lost. It, uh, they don't change their spots that quickly, is what I'm going to say. You don't go from the level of agitation Cat showed on Monday to just being like, okay, now I've completely let it go. I'm completely calm on Wednesday. I 
him, I think it was more like he was putting on a show. Like I said, it felt very performative. Like, look at me, everybody. Look at me. I'm I'm not reacting. And so, like, I hope that now that he's gotten that out of his system, he continues to do this. And rightfully so. He got lots of praise for it. So hopefully he hears that and adjusts his behavior going forward. And this is just a new cat. But I, uh, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit by the behavior because I was just like, cat, it feels like you're just acting up. You know, this is just another way of you performing on the court to sh- show up the refs, you know? So, yeah, you over. Um, I hope got, I'm wrong. I hope I'm just being cynical, but that's how I felt about it. He got a lot of pushback, you know, on the broadcast and just from fans after the game on Monday and stuff from all that stuff. So, you know, I, I, yeah, you're right. That did seem like he was responding to that by going super far back the other way. And yes, we do need to see uh, more of a sample of this to believe it's real. And I don't think it's going to be perfect all the time. I think it's just super, super hard to, you know, to be, you know, as passionate as Carl is and to be so into the game. But then also, again, to turn that cheek, that can be really hard. But that's unfortunately what we're going to ask you, man. That's that's what we need from you. So your team right. needs it kind of feels like, you. you know, a player got criticized for taking too many shots. So the next game he doesn't shoot once. He just passes it every time. <laughs> that's like what it kind of felt like to me. So we'll see. But he, you know, but Carl's also talked about this in the past. Like in past years, he's said he's, you know, he's said the right stuff about, you know, not letting the refs get to him and all that kind of thing. So obviously it's really hard. Easier said than done. But I do feel like it's something he wants to do. I just think he just generally has such a hard time letting that stuff go. So it really works against what his maybe first instinct is uh, when things don't go his way. Um, yeah. On the, on the, you know, with the officials or whatever. Right. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, this game, you know, more from this game, the Wolves just got up big and 44 points in the first quarter. They're uh, uh, third best uh, opening quarter of all time in franchise history. Um, so th- that was huge. And uh, they just kind of hung on. I mean, the, the Bucks kept making their runs and stuff, but you know the Wolves. Yeah, we got we got up twenty. Back. The Bucks cut it to like a three point game, and we yeah. held on. Like when when we lost, when we blew away that whole lead, you, uh, you know. Thankfully, I had the game spoiled for me. Actually, not thankfully. You know what I'm saying. I knew the Timberwolves were going to fail, but <laughs> uh-huh. if I had not been spoiled, I would have just been the pit in my stomach. Like here we go, Wolves. You yep. know, I would have totally felt that way. Yeah, it did. It did feel like it was going to come back at any minute, especially given the the opponent. You're just like, oh yeah, they're going to turn it on and and uh, wrap this thing up right here and give it right back to us. But no, they were. Uh the Bucks just couldn't recover and couldn't consistently hit enough shots and stuff. So um, great to see the Wolves just put it all together. Uh, obviously, Anthony Edwards putting the team on his back at the end with that incredible, um, you know, just just power move drive, just just rip through um, someone who someone who is you know, uh, you know Middleton is a very good defender. Obviously, but like also, you know, Anthony Edwards outweighs him and is probably a little bigger than him. So, um, but still very impressive to go against Middleton and uh, be able to have that. He did, it wasn't just that play too. He was he was going past him multiple times in the game. So just huge to see, um, you know, Edwards kind of be able to do that, especially in crunch time and get to the hoop to be able to do it. Get to the foul line too. So many guys pull up in that position, take the three, take the long two or whatever, like a shooting guard like that. But no, and went all the way in there. And uh, that was the difference because he got that and one. So just just so impressive. Yeah, it's showing a level of confidence and body control, frankly, that, 
you know, wasn't always there last year. So it's great, you know, so fun to watch a player like him continue to improve in front of our eyes. Like some of the ways he was just using his hesitation dribble to kind of probe the defense at the end and find an open guy. It's just like, this is advanced stuff for a 20 year old, you know? And just like because of his athleticism and his strength, like that's a shot he will almost always be able to create for himself by, you know, just going to the rim and going through guys. And last year we saw him when he needed a bucket, a lot of times choose to shoot it. And so now him realizing like, oh, this is end of the game. This is like the most crucial time. What kind of shot am I going to take? I'm going to use all my strength and athleticism to get to the rim. It's, it's like, oh, that's a great call. Yet. You know, that's some good decision making there. We love it. All right. Anything else on the Bucks game, Scott? Uh, I'm going to miss. Uh, rest in peace to Giannis's long free throw windup. Uh, <laughs> that was yeah, like my sp- fun like uh, a little, little bit. I mean, it kind of got overexposed in the playoffs, obviously, but that always used to be my little secret fact. If I was watching a Bucks game with a friend over the past several years, I'd be like, hey, watch this right here. Giannis is going to the free throw line. Let's count and just see, because not a lot of people noticed it before, and that was kind of my fun thing to show people, and they'd be like, oh, wow, I never noticed that before, and now it's gone. So, uh, you know, once again, shout out to Giannis for changing something like that. You see guys like Ben Simmons, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's really hard to change your free throw. It must take years and years and years, and Giannis does it in a summer. It looks good. Uh, so <laughs> another reason to love that guy. I mean, man, did he have a monster game. He had, what, 40 yeah, points, 40. 16 yeah. rebounds, 7 assists. Great game for Giannis. The uh, rest of the team just didn't show up. So yeah. <laughs> so good. also, like, I'm not the first to comment on this, but very weird energy after the win. Like, everyone started hugging and, like, trading jerseys like they had just finished, like, an Olympic game against each other or something. It was just like, guys, you're going to f- see each other later this season. <laughs> you know? You're not, you're not done with each other for the year. <laughs> Just that border battle, I guess. Yeah, but I saw, like, multiple guys trading jerseys. Obviously, Giannis and Kat did, but I saw even, like, I don't want to say it was Jalen Noel, but it was someone like like J-Mac, maybe. It's just a lot of people were trading jerseys. It was weird. He's hitting up. All right, onward to the defense. The defense is still happening. It is still being played at a much higher level than I think uh, – you know, we thought it would be uh, this season, Scott. And, you know, I'm not even going to look at the numbers. It's way too early for all that. That is, that's maybe when we get in the 10, 15, 20 game sample size. We'll start looking at some of those numbers and seeing how things go. But I think we still got to talk about it because um, just the eye test and just looking, you know, for, from people that watch every game of every season, I think that's all you really need to talk about and be to be amazed at sort of the transformation that we've seen from, you know, this team versus teams of the past. So, uh, Scott, let's let's use those catchphrases, right? Let's use those things we talked about uh, <laughs> last week a little bit, uh, those terms we say. But um, hey, what, what, Ant what you, said it. I heard Ant in a post game interview talking yeah. about how they have to keep this keep that keep same energy. energy. And I was like, that's the <laughs> crutch phrase I kept following on that's last right. week's podcast. And so to hear Ant say it, I was like, yeah, I'm vindicated. If it's good enough for Ant, it's good enough for me. Sometimes it's just that's there was just like you know there is a good way to say it and that's it you know so yeah good keep also, that energy though, good energy as as we're reflecting on what I said on last week's pod I should re- apologize just a little bit because we made fun of Beasley I said like oh yeah I mean it could have been part of the defensive scheme for Beasley to leave Eric Gordon wide open in the corner and I think it was actually because the the scheme seems to be put more bodies in the paint so that the guy looks in the paint all he sees is bodies it discourages going to the rim and the downside of that is there's going to be open three-point shooters and we've just seemed to concede that open three-point shot 
in exchange for better rim protection or better, you know, packing the paint, more bodies in the paint. And it seems like an intentional choice. So I, I apologize, Malik. There's a lot of, th- of your defense that I am rightful in criticizing, but that one I don't believe was your fault. Yeah, he's being asked to, you know, or that player is being asked to kind of have a foot in the paint, um, you know, for the pick and roll. But then you, you need to be able to scramble back to your man if the pass is thrown and you got to hope that that pass, you know, hangs in the air a little bit and you can kind of beat it over there and at least get a contest. I mean, yeah, you're probably not blocking or anything like that, but I guess that's the only, you know, that's what you're hoping for is to at least get a good hand up or something like that. And you're, you're willing to give give up those above the break threes a little bit. So that's something definitely to watch. And also, year. because I like to criticize Malik Beasley's defense, and I will again in a moment here, I want to recognize that he has had some good hustle plays. He's gotten a couple turnovers, so I like to see that. Um, just one thing I noticed, and this is kind of commenting on the defense as a whole, is that it's interesting you can learn about the defense by watching Malik Beasley on defense because he will screw up, and then it, you won't see the breakdown until like two or three guys down the rotation because someone will step up to make make up for Malik's screw up and then someone will step up to make up for the guy who stepped up and you'll see the play break down like two or three spots later but it, it can be informative to how the defense works to watch just like how guys cover for Malik being bad <laughs> yeah that's right well there you go a little hint there when you're watching the defense uh for the Wolves this season but uh but yeah I mean t- to me the defense I mean, again, we, we talked a little bit about it last week, but, you know, it's this idea of how was the how were the lineups going to be and, you know, how, my, how many of these defenders, these one-way guys, could you get in there and still kind of have a good equilibrium between your offense and your defense? And so far, I think it's really been working out well, and I, I just think that, um, you know, they just have so many different guys that can, you know, on the defensive end, uh, be versatile and, and do a number of things. So, you know, it's been interesting to see kind of where they go with that. You know, Okogi, you know, our, our next section is uh, lineups and rotations. So maybe we'll talk a little more about that there. But um, they just have, yeah, between Okogi, uh, Vanderbilt, and, um, you know, J Mac, Big, Big Mac. Um, they got they got a, a number of guys there who are really uh, you know they can cover up a lot of um, different positions. Um, they're just really long. They got long arms. They are disruptive, and for some reason, it just I think it comes more from the buy in from the other guys like Russell and Towns, who are just like a little bit better and maybe like a little bit closer to average right now. Um, but th- something about it is just all meshing into kind of being this. Um, you know, we, and we do know that there is some some scheme here too. You know, Towns is stepping up on screens a little bit more, and so you're getting a more active Towns, and everyone else is kind of just flying around and covering up for each other, and it's just been super fun to watch. And I really hope, you know, again, you know, everyone everyone's listening to this is a Wolves fan who is holding their breath for the bottom to fall out of all this stuff. But I really hope this defense and the way that they've been able to play like this. You know, maybe the wins won't all be there, but if the defense can play like this for most of the year, I, I think it's a huge deal, and I think they will, um, you know, have a much higher ceiling for their team overall if the defense can continue uh, what they've done this far. Yeah, I think that there's a real. I'm not the first to say this, you know. Shout out to the wonderful 
you know, Canis Hoopus, what a bunch of good writers or whatever the Jim Pete drop is. You know, talking about <laughs> that we did last week. How, yeah. good, how good the vlogging community is. Mm. But, uh, you know, I've listened to some podcasts, read some articles, so I know that other people are pointing this out. But it just seems like our defense is a lot further along than our offense at this point. Like, it seems like guys are coming in. They know what to do on defense. They know what the plan is. And then on offense, a lot of times it seems like there is no plan and it's just like, well, Russell, you're pretty good. Why don't you see what you can create? Like, Kat, you, you're such a good offensive player. Let's just see what you can do. We'll we'll figure out our offensive system later. It seems like the early season focus has been defense, but because it just seems like everyone goes out there and they have a purpose. They know where they're supposed to be on defense, and that's you know, in in terms of just like something you don't see from Wolves a lot is amazing. Because you're right, the energy is a huge part of it. But I also think that like. Just like everyone's coming out there thinking about their defensive plans, what they're going to do on defense, whereas it never has ever felt that way. <laughs> so even under Thibodeau, <laughs> so um, I think that that's encouraging as well. And like you said, we've got like you know, we have, it feels like this team has like four really good offensive players, and then the rest are like defensive-minded guys. So I think it's an interesting way to balance things out. But we could talk about that more when we talk about lineups and rotations. Yeah, and just to you know. F- finish finish up on the you know on the defense stuff is you know I, again I, I do think that towns uh, you know I think we have seen you know uh, again just just baby steps improvement there I mean that is ultimately what you know I think is gonna you know really kind of set the the pace for this Timberwolves team I think you know having you know like we said all those active guys throw Beverly in there that helps I think like Russell and some of these other you know offensive first dudes like kind of have a template for what they could do but ultimately the defense is going to be as good as like towns um allows as far as you know him reaching that kind of average stage um uh you know in his career on the defensive end and i've liked what i've seen so far i mean he's been he hasn't been like a you know super stud but i think the um i think the new uh you know the the new stepping up in the screen the new uh you know what, what would you say the new scheme the new defensive scheme has really um done well for him and um you know he just doesn't seem as lost and he's not like super late anymore it just puts him in a really good position to succeed so again shout out to chris finch and uh you know let's let's hope the wolves can keep this uh defensive thing rolling he's on fire oh yeah lineups and rotations things are happening scott we're a couple uh we're like a week into the season obviously four games and um you know the Timberwolves are playing a lot of guys they were uh you know they were still playing eleven dudes. I think through those first three games, a lot of lot of bodies in there. A lot of uh, you know you get Okogi kind of starting and then not really coming back in very much. So things were kind of a little weird. But hey, that's what uh, the preseason and the first few weeks of the regular season are for. Um, but now the rotations are changing. The lineups are changing a little bit. Uh, uh, Vanderbilt started uh, that Milwaukee game and was just a stud. I mean, I don't know how you. I don't know how you kind of go forward, um, you know, without him kind of being a major part of, I don't know if he has to start, but, you know, just he's just so effective when he's out there and he's found ways to um, kind of hide his offensive deficiencies in certain ways. Like so far, he hasn't been, you know, someone that just gets left alone out there or whatever and his defender then mucks everything up. So, you really love to see that, and um, so yeah, I've I've just been intrigued by the different lineups and rotations. But I'm wondering what you've seen, Scott, from from Finch and some of the early rotations and pairings and stuff like that. What what have you seen? What have you liked? And and where do you think things are going? Well, I think you know as we pertains to Vando, what a game he had. I wrote it down a couple times in my game notes, and the 
and Vando P. You know, I was trying to work an MVP Vando thing going. <laughs> yeah, 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 but also yeah. I was just like, this is the Vando game, you know, because oh, he had yeah. such an influence. And, you know, he's not the kind of guy who's going to bring that every night. You know, it's kind of like J.O. I said it on last week about Vando. There's some nights where he's just not as effective. But when you get him in a groove, you got to go to that hot hand in terms of, you know, not necessarily in terms of shooting, but in terms of grabbing all the boards and stuff like that. Because it shows you, you know, like I said, I think the number one fatal flaw of this team will be the rebounding all season long. And uh, that wasn't, we won the rebounding battle mostly because Jaden and Vanderbilt seemed to make it their main priority, you know? So yeah. I think that was wonderful to see. I'm not sure if the answer is always going to be putting Vando in the starting lineup. You know, it, it's about like who has a hot hand on defense and also pro- obviously the matchups are going to dictate who fills out that starting lineup spot. But I think defensively, rotation-wise, the most exciting thing that I can't believe it's taken us this far into the pod to talk about is our new favorite player, Patrick Beverly, everybody. Like, I was at that Saturday game. I gave him a standing ovation when he checked in the first time. He drew, like, three offensive fouls, like, immediately, you know, on the other team. Like, just drew three fouls. Was just endearing himself. He stripped the ball from Graham at half court and just was doing all those great Patrick Beverly things. But just seeing how he is obviously the first person to come off the bench now. It's not Beasley. Like, he is the six man of this of this roster at this point um and he has just been one so fun because unlike a lot of the great defenders on our team he does have an offensive game I thought it was funny uh on Saturday because you heard him a little bit in the second half but this guy was sitting behind us in the first half or for the whole game and he was describing to his friend he was giving the lowdown on Pat Beverly like oh he's so good on defense (laughs) and every time Pat Beverly took a shot like a three-point shot he was like no we don't want that no you can't have him shoot and (laughs) I remember from the Dane Moore podcast, shout out Dane Moore, that he said that for the like the last three or four seasons on catch and shoot threes, Pat Bev is over forty percent. <laughs> you know, like he's yeah, a forty a plus percent three point shooter on catch and shoot threes, and those are the ones he's taking, and they've been going in. So I think that Pat Bev is fun because not only does he bring that defense, but he's one of the few defenders who has this offensive game that really helps us out as well too. So man, what a joy! Just like off court stuff we're hearing. I thought it was funny. Well, I think it was Monday's game probably. I saw. I think it was Dane who tweeted that Pat told the the bench to quit effing talking to the refs. Which I thought was funny because it's like one great leadership, great point, but two like that's kind of like it's like Chris Paul telling you not to argue with the refs, right? <laughs> like, it's like uh, yeah. don't don't do as I do, do as I say, young ones, because Pat Bev has obviously already gotten technicals this season for talking at the refs. So um, I think that's very funny, but that's been the biggest thing to the rotations over the past week is just seeing like his addition to the roster. Yeah, Beverly seems to be someone who's like just always in conversation with the refs, like not even like complaining necessarily. Yeah, he's just always talking. He's all even like smiling and joking too. He's like trying to get clarification on a thing. He's trying to, you know, say why he's in the right. I don't know what he's saying, but he's just always going. He's not like only talking when he has a problem with you. So. He's got some some plan up there going for that. But yeah, pretty rich yeah. coming from him to tell, tell his teammates to not talk to the refs. Last night he did that thing where he, he had a defender behind him and he stopped cold and the defender brought oh, yeah. him over and yep. he got that called was... for the call instead. And you know, Pat Bev got the got the foul. You know, he he drew the what am I trying to say? He committed the foul. Yes. And he got up and he said, Good job to the ref and patted yeah. him on the butt. And it was like, That's that a good was, call. I, that was an amazing I did moment. Do something. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, that's I like seeing that because Pat Bev, we all know, or maybe you don't if you're new to the pod or new to the NBA or whatever, but he's been all around. You know, he's got 
Yeah. Just a ton of experience. Even before he got in the league, I think he was playing overseas and stuff. So just like a real journeyman who has seen like it all. And so I think that having that kind of wisdom and experience on the team is awesome. But also that edge he gives us, you know, I, I wonder if like some of the edginess towards the refs have been people just like his Pat Bev maybe rubbing off on some of the players. Not necessarily like he's telling the players to cuss and get taken out of the game because of how much they're bothered by the ref. But I think that it's just like that energy and that chippiness is something that's already wearing off on the team, which I think is great because that element has been what's been missing. I mean, I've been talking about it all the time. There's no one on this team who's going to throw a punch, you know, and so we get treated like just a bunch of soft players every single season because nobody's, unless we have James Johnson on our team, no one was afraid that someone was going to throw a punch at him, and we got that kind of edge now with Pat Bev, which I love. Yeah, in addition to, you know, Beverly coming, yeah, Beverly coming in and, you know, like you said, you know, just just providing more defense off the bench but able to hit that shot too. I mean, you know, now, you know, this this Milwaukee game first night that, you know, Joshua Kogi got a DNP. Um I think that might I don't know, we'll see here, but I just think that Beverly is just the better option all around. Like what what can, you know, Okogi do that Beverly can't? So I think they're a little um, there's a little overlap there, and you probably just trust Beverly more. I mean, we said we already said it; like he can actually hit a catch and shoot three from the corner and stuff like that, where Josh really can't. Um, so I'm, I think I think you know we're, we're, we might be seeing Okogi kind of lose his spot to um, Beverly here, and you know obviously you'd like to play all these guys, but you know it's just you just need to get a more consistent rotation down. I mean that's just what better NBA teams do. So I think Chris Finch is working towards that. Maybe it's not the Decided quite yet and hey the Wolves are lucky so far knock on wood no injuries so a lot of this gets ironed out when you do have those injuries they're going to come and then all of a sudden you just have these guys and you play who's available but for now it's a nice problem to have of being like all these guys are available but we probably shouldn't play them all let's get down to 10 or 9 or whatever so that's what they're doing right now so Okogi with the DMP and then McKinley Wright and uh, Leo uh, Balmaro um, are down in Des Moines now and they'll be playing down there with the Iowa Wolves for a while. So that's another kind of move to kind of figure out the rotations and then lineups and that kind of stuff. So it's something to monitor, you know, as we go on here. And again, hopefully a healthy team to kind of figure out who does Chris Finch, you know, actually think is the best best nine guys, best ten guys to play here with this, uh, you know, new team that we have here, uh, you know, as, as we start this season. So it should be interesting to keep watching that and kind of maintain, you know, especially guys like Beasley. Beasley probably wants to play a little bit more. Uh, all these guys want to play, but, um, you know, it should be interesting because there's going to be hard decisions and certain guys are not going to be happy with their with their minutes. So getting buy-in, too, is going to be really important for Chris Finch. You're right. We, we just need a few injuries to solve all these there we go. <laughs> feelings, perhaps, because Always. that's all it'll take. But yeah, and just in terms of a Kogi, the one, you know, you're comparing him to Pat Bev. Not only does Pat Bev have the uh, offensive, you know, edge, but it just seems like Beverly controls the pace of the game, or sometimes uh, Josh lets the pace of the game control him a little bit. But Josh is irrepressible. I have no doubt that he'll find his way back into the lineup and find his way to helping us out. But that's, you know, we talked about this a little bit when he didn't get extended. You know, this is uh, Josh's value is fluctuates a whole lot from season to season or situation to situation. So, yeah. um, like, you know, like you said, this will all get worked out with some injuries. But yeah, it is, it is. It's fascinating to see J.O. out of the rotation right now. 
All right, up next we have our sponsor, everybody. Please stick around. It's the sponsor. Don't fast forward. This is this is good stuff here. Uh, this week, uh, Wolves Cast is brought to you by Target Center Concessions. Everybody, go check uh, when you when you're at Target Center. You need some food, okay? And uh, there's a lot going on. It's uh, new at Target Center this season. Uh, with the runaway success of Triangle Offense Pizza and the fantastic slices they're serving up over there at Target Center, we're happy to announce an expansion of pun-based concession stands coming to the concourse. Next time you visit the finest arena in the NBA, be on the lookout for these new eateries. That's right, Neil. I'm really excited. My mouth salivating at the adi- at the idea of visiting Italian slam dunkers. Remember grade school lunch in the 90s? Now you can relive it at the arena with this yummy cheesy bread and marinara sauce combo. The sauce cup is a mini basketball hoop that you can take home. That way, you know, when you're dunking, you're, you're dunkers, you're going through the hoop just like a real slam dunk. Located outside sections 106 and 209, Italian slam dunkers. Up next, we have uh, the triple-double cheeseburger. It's uh, 10 patties, 10 slices of cheese, and exactly 10 fries. Um, no, this, this one just isn't just a cute name. Uh, you actually get 10 of three different things. Good luck eating it. Located outside sections 118 and 227. And if you have 10 spills on yourself, it's a, tri- a quadruple-double cheeseburger, everybody. Uh, but if you're not feeling that heavy, you know, meat patties, 10 of them, that's a lot That's a lot of protein. Why don't you check out Full Court Press Paninis? This was added once we signed Patrick Beverly. We realized Full Court Press, mm, that's going to be seeing a lot of that. It's going to make people want some of these paninis. Because when halftime hits and you're craving a toasty melted sandwich, look no further than Full Court Press Paninis. These mouth-watering Sammies are so good, you'll be inspired to guard your man the entire 94 feet. Located outside section 101. Also, be sure to check out 3 and D Delicious Wings. Every team is looking to add 3 and D wings to their roster. Stop by to add these scrumptious wings to your dinner plans. Located outside sections 131 and 229. And for the picky eaters in your family, you'll want to make sure you don't miss out on the chicken goaltenders. Swat your hunger into the fifth row with these plump, mouth-watering chicken tenders. Enjoy this game night classic meal, along with a side of fries and your choice of sauces. Located outside sections 111 and 213. Yeah, and uh, also coming soon to Target Center, we've got dribble dots. That's right, dipping dots shaped like basketballs. And who can forget about the step-back, baby-back ribs? Mmm. We've got catch-and-shoot jello shots. And, you know, and as a nod to our favorite mascot, you can get a drink at the new Nestle Crunch Bar. When you need a sandwich, be sure to check out Backdoor Cold Cuts. And when you're feeling as hungry as the wild pack of wolves, why don't you stop by Wolf It Down? And finally, he's on his way out, but uh, he'll always uh, be welcome to Target Center. And uh, the concession stand is no different. Make sure you check out Glenn's Tailor-Made Subs. Next time you're uh, in the concourse at Target Center, all these are coming soon, everybody. And uh, we want to thank the Target Center Concessions for sponsoring this episode of Wolves Cast. Up next, we are going to get to Power Rankings. Okay, well, the NBA has named their 75 
greatest players of all time. It's a it's a massive list, sparking uh, controversy and discussion everywhere. Who made it? Who didn't? Who was snubbed? And uh, well, locally, Neil and I we tried to make our own top seventy-five for the Timberwolves. We got into a fist fight about whether Derrick yeah. Williams is the seventy-second greatest player or the seventy-first greatest yeah. player. So we decided the folly of doing that. I think it's a little harder to rank your top twenty-five or seventy-five Timberwolves, which is why uh, Michael Rand. Uh, Rand Ball, you know, uh, at the Star Tribune. Oh, yeah. He, and we're, we're saying he did it because he's got the byline. Once again, we know who the owner of the Star Tribune is. It's the owner of the Wolves. I'm sure these are all edicts passed down from up high. Although he did put Kevin Garnett number one. I'm not sure if Glenn Taylor would do that. There's some bad mm, blood there. But yeah. either way, uh, we're not going to reveal his top 25 list because, you know, support local journalism. You know, I uh, <laughs> have my own problems with some of the editorial stuff the Star Tribune puts out. But I think that they do their reporting is so valuable like if they were gone we would really really miss them so uh support the local paper even if you don't always agree with what they write in the paper because the reporting is so valuable and i don't think people realize if we didn't have the star tribune in this market it would really hurt us from a journalism standpoint so support the star tribune and read the list online we're not gonna reveal the whole 25 like i said i guess i spoiled his list maybe i just cut the legs out underneath him by revealing kevin garnett is number number one's obvious that's like the only thing that's obvious on (laughs) this list everything else like could be just about anything so yeah they did the top 25 and uh, we wanted to uh, you know just follow that up uh, for power rankings here this week with uh, the top Timberwolves players of all time numbers 30 through 26 okay so there's five that got left off this list that we just you know felt like were just very important to make sure we included here um, so we're going to go ahead and start at number 30. Number 30 is Trenton Hassel. I believe we named him as our, our best Timberwolves shooting guard of all time. So, uh, I think, I think Trenton is, uh, I think Terrell Brandon won that, right? We'll have to check that out. You got a link. Uh, that. that was a good power rankings we did. Yeah. We'll go back and check that one out. But Trenton Hassel, very important Timberwolf. Um, you know, just the the defensive, you know, him and KG, they they teamed up, you know, to be, you know, make sure the Wolves had, you know, a, a really great defensive big and uh, an ace defensive guard as well. So that's what I think he'll always be remembered for is being, you know, the the defensive, um, uh, you know, best best defense. I guess KG was the best defensive player, a very important defensive player on one of the best Timberwolves teams of all time. Yeah, and you know, uh, I think he gets underrated because, as we know, defense just uh, typically is harder to quantify. But that's not to say he's a slouch on the other metrics. He's around the top thirty in terms of points uh, scored, you know, and like games played. So there's plenty of representation of uh, hassle within the expanded leaderboards of the team. So I think this is very solid. You got to honor that defense. Trent Hassel, we, we'll remember you forever. I love it. Um, all right, onward to number twenty nine. Number 29 is Tyrone Corbin, a.k.a. Ty. Ty, T-Y, Corbin. He's a former coach. I think a lot of people probably, you know, the younger fans will remember him as being a coach in the league uh, because it's been a while since he played. But still, you know, pretty impressive on the Timberwolves leaderboards. His scoring and games played, minutes played are all up around the top 30. So felt fair to have him up there. And he's still got his, uh, you know, his name in a few of the top 10s. He's tied. For sixth all time in triple doubles for the franchise, Neil. Wow, 
Tied with a lot of players, though. He only had one. So, I mean, he's tied with Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins and like a bunch of guys like that. Um, yeah. But in terms of minutes per game, he's second all time, 37.4 minutes per game. Uh, it's a lot of rate statistics, not you know cumulative, because rebounds per game, he's seventh all time, 7.2 rebounds per game. Yep. Steals per game, he's tied for first with Ricky Rubio with two steals per game. So, you know, in terms of these rate stats, steal percentage, sixth all time in the Timberwolves history. So, I mean, if you're showing up in the top 10 for a lot of categories like that, I think that, you know, it's not a stretch to mention you as number 29 on this list. Yeah, and 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 Tyrone Corbin, you know, just one of the most important players it gets forgotten because he was on the first, you know, he basically just played for the Wolves for like the first two seasons, um, and a little bit of the third season, but he played all eighty-two games in the first and second um, uh, seasons for the Timberwolves, and averaged like over thirty-five minutes a game for both those seasons and stuff. So he was right up there with Tony Campbell and another person we'll talk about on this list a little bit later as just like really important, even though the teams were bad and stuff like that, just important to get things started here, have a, have a real pro and uh, Tyrone Corbin, you know, we got, we got, we got to go back too. you know, we can't just, we can't just talk about, um, you know, the more recent, you know, two thousands and beyond type guys. We gotta, we gotta go back into the late eighties and early nineties to, to recognize uh, some of the best wolves of all time. So he, especially he, he, because far be it for me to judge or spoil more of his list, but I feel like the star tribune list was leaning a little heavily on recency bias yes um anthony edwards might be in the top 20 everybody <laughs> so the recency bias is strong so we also gotta you know represent some of the players who are aren't as remembered as quickly as some of the more recent players but no doubt left their you know their fingerprints on the franchise absolutely all right onward to uh number 28 Neil, I want you to talk about this player because this was a time where I was in college, so I wasn't able to watch as many Timberwolves games. It was right after the KG trade, but you were doing a, a Timberwolves podcast called Timberwolves Today with oh, uh, yeah. Rob, Robert with an H, who is a frequent co-host of the show. So why don't you tell me about your feelings about Ryan Gomes? Oh, Ryan Gomes, everybody. He's, uh, he's made it up here. Ryan Gomes, yeah, was in the KG trade. Um, you know, someone who, and now I'm looking at his basketball reference here, very similar to, um, you know, to Tyrone Corbin that, you know, he played all 82 games of, uh, his first two seasons with the Wolves. He had three seasons with the Wolves, 82 games, 82 games, and then 76 games. So looking at an Iron Man right here. And, uh, you know, while, uh, you know, we're down here on the, you know, getting low on this list of Timberwolves players. So, you know, a couple, a lot of these guys, you know, they didn't either play that long with the team or, you know, kind of just like a role player overall. But I feel like Ryan Gomes, you know, just provided some uh, stability on the wing and uh, was a competent uh, kind of professional uh, when the team was kind of floundering uh, during this time and kind of felt like he was something of a stabilizing or a stabilizing uh, force with the team. You know, the Al Jefferson, Sebastian Telfair, uh, Kevin Love, early Love era type of stuff here. So, yeah, Ryan Gomes from Providence. Everybody, so went to went to college at Providence and uh, was with the Celtics for a few years, and uh, yeah, I've had a few good years with the Wolves, and uh, you know, no great shakes, but uh, an important player for the post KG uh, era, and um, yeah, the Wolves were really bad during that time, but Ryan Gomes was not. He was always very solid, and he had a great smile. So uh, hey, you're here at number twenty eight, Ryan. Onward to number twenty seven. Pooh Richardson. All right, everybody. That's right. The original Timberwolf. The very first. The prime Timberwolf. First draft pick of this franchise of all time, Mr. Pooh Richardson, who uh, 
is kind of known for being, you know, kind of one of the first notable players on the Timberwolves. I feel like that's what I know him for is being the number one draft pick or, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't the number one pick, but he was the first draft pick for the Timberwolves. Yes. And, um, but, you know, if you look at his, uh, his statistics, he's left his mark all over the Timberwolves leaderboards. He's like 15th in scoring all time. He's top 10 in field goals made. He's uh, number three in assists behind only KG and Ricky Rubio total assists. He's number 10 in total steals. So these aren't the rate statistics. These are, you know, some real juicy stuff here. And uh, kind of notably, he's top 10 in plus minus for the uh, franchise history. He's also number eight on value over replacement player. Uh, you know, I don't know VORP. That's uh, what we nerds call value over replacement player, how it works in relation to like baseball, which I'm very familiar with. But if you look at the top 10 uh, value over replacement players, they are all legit Timberwolves stars who are all in the top 25. So for Pooh to be eight on that list and not be in the top 25, I feel like we got to rectify that. Yeah. And, um, you know, Pooh, like you said, you know, early, early days, you know, first, he was a first round. 10th pick overall uh, in the Timberwolves' first ever draft. So, you know, like I said with Tyrone, 82 games first season, 82 games the second season, 82 games for the Wolves all three seasons he played with the Wolves. Truly the Iron Man here on this list. And uh, the most important thing about Pooh, though, of course, is that nickname. And uh, apparently he got it from his grandma who thought he resembled Winnie the Pooh. So just as easy as that. Pooh Richardson, uh, real name Jerome Richardson Jr., everybody. So, it's funny. And now, there's another point guard who got nicknamed Pooh by his grandmother. His name is Derek Rose, everybody. Oh, yeah, that's right. There you go. He's got Pooh the Bear. Poudini tattoo. It's <laughs> Man, Derek used to, like when Derek just ha- started in the league, he had like two tattoos. They were so bad. Now he's got a nice sleeve <laughs> going on and stuff. But, oh, boy, was that wizard tattoo on his shoulder one of the worst ones in the league for a while. Ooh, the wizard. I like that. All right, last one Poudini. here, Scott. Number 26. Scott, why don't, you, why don't you go ahead and tell them tell them who who was the the most um, egregious name left off uh, the Star Tribune's twenty five best walls of all time. I can understand why there could be some mixed feelings about this guy. You know, his statistics wise, he wasn't on the team for that long. Didn't really leave his mark on the leaderboards in the way that, like, say, Pooh Richardson did. But at least culturally, you know, in terms of uh, his influence, his impact on the best Wolves team of all time, uh, his impact on uh, spinning uh, tennis shoe design, his his impact on the legacy of Gotta Feed My Children is uh, Latrell Sprewell, everybody. Spree. Yeah, Spree. I like how you said culturally. That is that is the case because yeah, I mean, cover of Sports Illustrated with with KG and Cassell, you know, and KG brought him and Cassell on Letterman with him. You know, it was yeah. just like everywhere KG went, it was the big three. He took Cassell and Spreewell with him everywhere. Yeah, and and, and Spree, you know, four time All Star, and you know, his last two years in the league were actually the, his two Minnesota years. Um, so it was the tail end of his like you know. Uh, 12-year NBA career or whatever. But, um, you know, so he was on the way out, but still super good, super important, um, you know, to the success of, uh, yeah, of that – that uh, that KG run that those those great teams there at the end in 03, 04, like that era and stuff and yeah lots of other weird stuff obviously in his career the choking the coach obviously uh, PJ Carlissimo all that stuff lots of you know like you said the shoes a lot of off court things but 
you know, we, we can't, um, you know, we, we can't uh, diminish uh, what he meant to the Timberwolves. And you still see the jerseys around. Unlike some of these other guys we've named, you still see a lot of spree jerseys. Number eight, Ryan Gomes, also number eight, um, you know, around Target Center. Just because Michael years Beasley, were, also number there eight. There you go. Yeah, lots of eights. Eight's a good number. Um, and, and, you know, you just get you get a lot of those. So, you, you know, his presence is still felt in that kind of way. And you could just tell kind of that, again, because he was part of such that great Timberwolves team that how much he still means to Wolves fans today yeah and exactly what you said Neil I think when most people think of Latrell Sprewell they think about him choking it was a PJ Carmelissimo yeah (laughs) most people think of that but in Minnesota at least when you say Sprewell the first thing we think of is him being on the best Timberwolves team of all time absolutely so there you have it those are power rankings the top Timberwolves player of all time numbers 30 through 26 the couple guys that uh, the Strib missed Feel free to let us know who you think that we missed. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, I'm going to say that if you're like, "Oh, Scott, you forgot to put Corey Brewer." Don't worry, Corey Brewer's in the top 25 for the stream. You there. know, so like, there's going to be some obvious ones where you're like, "I can't believe they didn't pick Gugliotta." Gugliotta's on the top 25. But if you think you have somebody who's in the kind of range of the guys that we listed, we would love to hear it because you know, a lot of times you you, you stand for some personal con- connections you have with these guys, and uh, that's what really makes them stand out in your memory. So let us hear about which players you think deserve to be either 26 through 30 or maybe you want to extend our list and go 31 through 35 let us know we would love to hear it and up next it's time for weekly wolfies now presenting your weekly wolfies the segment where we recommend things that you should like or dislike it's Weekly Wolfies. Scott, I want you to get us started this week. What are you thinking about? What is uh, what is on your mind for the prestigious Weekly Wolfie Award? Neil, I had almost a uniformly good time on Saturday night. I, uh, great seats. I wore my statement green uh, jersey for the first time. I bought a Jimmy, Jimmy Butler, Butler jersey right after he left town. You get him like, this is what I'm telling you guys. When a player leaves the team, if they are you know, kind of a big enough player to have their jersey sold at Dick's Sporting Goods. Dick's Sporting Goods really knocks off the price for these jerseys. I got this Jimmy one statement cream for like 20 bucks after he left. So, wow. well, you know, I had it. I hadn't popped the tags, though. I just couldn't bring myself to wear it in public until <laughs> I knew I was coming to the statement green game. So I wore it. It felt great. Uh, I got to see the Timberwolves win. Uh, you know, like I was saying, got to be back in the atmosphere of a live NBA game. A lot of great things happened on Saturday. But my one thing, the one thing that kind of like spoiled the experience just a tiny bit, was at halftime, I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll go get a drink. Maybe I'll go get some food. So first I was like, let's get some food. Let's do a spin around the concourse and see what sticks out. Maybe there's some new food, triangle offense pizza, you know, stuff like that (laughs) that I should check out. And I started going to places, Parlor Burger, some of my favorite ones. And they said, you know, I want to see the prices. I want to see how much is this going to set me back. And a lot of these stands don't even have the prices anymore. They just say, order on mobile. We're not going to show you what the price is or even what's for sale at the stand. Order mm. on mobile. It's this huge push. Everyone's got to order everything on mobile. Then you just pick it up. And, you know, it wasn't working. Their lines were terrible. I could not get any food because everything was taking so long. Um, but I'm willing to let that slide a little bit, Neil. And mobile ordering is a new thing. People are going to take time. I'm sure a lot of people had to download the app, figure out how to do it. There's always going to be kinks early on. So if they haven't solved this problem, Later on in the season, I will definitely give a wolfie to the broken mobile ordering system because it's broken right now. It's not working well. Yeah, uh, but I'll give them a little patience with that. But what is unforgivable 
you know, we have this target center problem everyone talks about. You know, we try to upgrade it. We can't really build a new one. We try to upgrade as much as you can, but you're kind of limited limited by the concrete blocks that are in place, uh, the concrete concourse that's in place. Um, so I think that the owners should take every chance they can to do simple upgrades to the arena because we can't have a modern arena. At least you could do is put in all the bells and whistles you can to make this feel like a more modern arena. It is ridiculous because I did wait in one line, Neil. I waited in line for the bar for like 15 minutes that you got to the seats and you're like, where's Scott at? Started the second half. Cause I was still waiting to get my drink. And, uh, what was really annoying to me was that this whole second half started and there are there's like one TV far down the concourse I had to kind of squint at to see what's happening. Did the second half start? Oh, I can't tell. And I just think that there's no excuse for there not to be a TV screen within 10 feet of you in the concourse. Deck the concourse out and television screens because it's, you know, this is one thing I like about the modern uh, stadium experience like Target Field, a lot of baseball stadiums. You can walk 360 degrees. You can walk around the entire perimeter of the ball field and you will not have a blind spot from the concourse. You can watch the game from the concourse regardless if you're getting food in center field or, you know, wherever you are. And I just think that we can't do that because the, t- the Target Center is built poorly. It's not like we can stay walk around the concourse and watch the action itself. So the very least you could do, I mean, screens aren't even that expensive, Neil. Like, this is a very, like, layup thing the new owners could do to win a lot of hearts and minds. Is just put TV screens everywhere in the concourse so that if for whatever reason you got to take your kid to the bathroom, uh, whatever it is, if you are missing a second of game action, you should always be able to tell what's happening on the court. So it's such a no-brainer. It's such a cheap little upgrade they can make. You know, it's not like a massive getting them to put in a new scoreboard or sound system or something like tvs come on they're not that expensive these days so uh, my weekly wolfie is to the terrible target center concourse experience come on guys get some tv screens in there it's so easy all right hopefully that gets better yeah i would expect that uh, mobile ordering to get better you know as uh as I'm willing gets, to give it a chance. I understand, you know, first week. Gotta, you, yeah, there's always going to be uh, bumps, you know, at a rollout of anything. So as terrible as it was, one thing that has been a problem consistently was the TV screens. How have we not figured that out yet? I guess so. All right, there you go. Hopefully, uh, hopefully they're listening out there. All right, my weekly wolfie is going to uh, go to a podcast episode that I think y'all should listen to. Um, there is a there is a show called ESPN Daily. You know, uh, daily daily podcasts are all the rage these days, and uh, ESPN is on board. I don't listen to this show, but uh, uh, I was recommended uh, this specific episode of ESPN Daily and uh, well now I might start listening more often because this was really cool I would think ESPN Daily would be a podcast that's like a 10 minute 15 minute roundup of the biggest sports stories but this was a deep dive on like a very specific thing so I'm kind of more interested in that kind of pick and choose based on uh, what kind of stories you might like I think every show is hosted by um, uh, Pablo Torre uh, I believe is his name and uh, this episode was entirely about Bob Volgaris, and uh, uh, you know he's the he was uh, formerly in the Mavericks front office, and uh, ESPN Daily title for this episode is exclusive. Was a former NBA better running the Mavs? So this kind of goes back to the drama that happened uh, over the summer with uh, Donnie Walsh, or sorry, Donnie Walsh, Donnie Nelson, um, getting removed as the Mavs GM and. Uh, Haralabob Volgaris, who a lot of people know from, uh, he was on the Bill Simmons podcast maybe like 10 years ago, eight years ago, or something like that. You know, they talk betting things, they talk NBA, because Haralabob got really big just by 
being really good at betting on the NBA. And then he got picked up by by the Mavericks as first a consultant and then someone that worked in their front office in an official kind of uh, consulting kind of role, but, you know, as, as a real employee. So um, this is just a great, like, one-hour show about – what sort of his beginnings in um, sports gambling and how he was able to kind of figure out where uh, there's these edges that he could get and stuff like that. And, um, you know, little points of data he could figure out and how it kind of led him into working with the Mavericks in. And then obviously, um, you know, all the drama that happened this summer with Luca and all that stuff, you know, Jason Kidd and uh, the new Mavericks GM, whose name is escaping me right now, the former Nike guy, um, you know, coming in, and stuff and it's just all really interesting if you uh, are interested in the behind the scenes on an NBA franchise and more specifically there's so many like roles or so many people in the in these NBA front offices now that it's kind of cool to get a peek behind the curtain a little bit to see you know how at least the Mavericks worked as far as you know reporting and who talks to who and how all these things work so I thought it was really good it's a one hour thing and it's just really Pablo interviewing um, Vulgaris and uh, it's really illuminating and cool to see uh, an angle on this type of stuff we don't normally get to hear about and this is actually it says exclusive it was this is the first time uh, Bob Vulgaris has spoken about any of this stuff there was an athletic article this summer that kind of was sources and different stuff like that talking about where the problems were but this is kind of Haral Bob talking about his side of the story so we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes and uh, you can check out this uh, very nice episode of ESPN Daily and it'll be on my radar as a place to check out other NBA stories so not a Wolves thing but if you like if you like hoops, if you like uh, the NBA, if you like the the business of sports, this is certainly a very interesting show to listen to. Yeah, and I think you know an extra point of interest for Wolves fans is a lot of times we you know lay awake at night and think, man, why why do we have to be fans of the worst organization in the NBA? And actually. Yeah. I would argue that Mavericks and what's been going on behind the scenes with the Mavericks with all the sexual harassment and, you know, like really shady stuff going on in their organization, I will at least say I, they seem more toxic. <laughs> you know, the Timberwolves might be more apt, inept as an organization, but not as toxic as what's been going on in Dallas the last five years. So yeah, maybe right. it'll make you feel a little bit better about some of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, at least, you know, I think for the Wolves, it's just been such a consistent slate of, uh, you know, uh, you know, just bad teams and stuff. Whereas I think like this shows that at least other teams can like get their peak and like be up there towards the wolves at like certain times there's a lot of franchises that run the risk of any of this stuff happening so uh it's not just the wolves you guys it's, it's okay some of these other more seemingly put together franchises actually have a lot of issues behind the scenes so definitely interesting to dive into i mean all right. without 2011 they would have wasted all dirk's career ah, anyways we could talk about this later another <laughs> vulgarison i thought was interesting is i do remember him saying he made a lot of money on the Minnesota Lynx, because he said it used to be oh. people weren't paying attention to the WNBA. Interesting. He said people didn't realize how the Lynx were a lock for the over every single night when the Lynx were uh. in a dynasty. <laughs> and so he said like he just made money for seasons over seasons on the Lynx until everyone figured it out and caught up to him. So I'll always remember him being like, yeah, the big money maker for me was the Minnesota Lynx. Wow, that's super and interesting. My final thing before we go to the game, Neil, I just, this is an anecdote, probably the least relevant to Timberwolves fans, but I worked at American Public Media for a while. They are the national radio distributor of the New York Times podcast, The Daily. And that's kind of the podcast that became such a big hit that everyone started trying to get daily podcasts to match it. And I thought it was so funny when they announced the ESPN one. They're like, because it's just so transparent. Like, I can imagine what the meeting was like. Everyone was sitting around a table like, okay. We want a we want a, a podcast that's like the daily. Okay, can do. Sounds great. What should we call it? 
ESPN Daily? <laughs> Leaning like over. Creative, Get out of here. The least creative name of all time. Oh, my God. Yep. You got to have Daily in there. Otherwise, how will they know it's Daily? Oh, yeah, man. Just so uncreative. <laughs> all right, Scott. Why don't you break us off with that game right now? What you got? What you got cooked up for, for today's show? All right. Well, you know, I was uh, a little crying for time, as it can happen sometimes. And... I found myself uh, turning to read the brand new edition of the Media Guide, Neil. It's out there. I didn't get it, you know, read it cover to cover like I normally do, so I reserve the right to, uh, you know, do future questions out of the Timberwolves Media Guide. But I just skimmed it and got a few questions tonight to quiz you about, uh, you know, some of our Timberwolves. This is great. This is, you know, this is definitely a tradition. And, yeah, if you like, you can can get three games, maybe even more out of this across the season. So um, I I love it and uh, always... Always, always nice when you dig into the to media guide because you always find some gems that uh, maybe haven't been said on a broadcast or something like that before. So looking forward to uh, seeing what you got here. I'll try to avoid. There's a couple of these I put down. I was like, I'm pretty sure I asked him uh, last year about these. So uh, I tried to avoid that as much as possible. Um, but, you know, if you haven't learned your lesson, Neil, it's good to ask him again, I guess. <laughs> uh, my first question, though, I did a little bit of research before the pod about fouls just because i was upset about carl <laughs> and so before we go into the media guy trivia i have to ask you neil uh carl anthony towns is number four all time in timberwolves fouls per game can you name uh one player who it, it, i put the top six the top six all have more than they have three or more fouls per game uh i was just wondering and this i'm not even going to judge you because it's kind of random uh cat is number four on that list with 3.3 fouls per game can you name any other timberwolf who is on that list the current wolf or, or all time uh, Towns is the only current wolf who's on that list, so the rest are all time. Um, maybe Pekovic? That's what I thought too, but no. There isn't Itch, though. <laughs> Nesterovic? That's right. He's number five. <laughs> Rasho Nesterovic. He has 3.1. Nice. Number six, Tom Gugliata, three fouls per game. Cat, uh, like I said, 3.3 was number four. Joe Smith, 3.5 is number three. Christian Leitner, 3.7 is number two. And then Felton Spencer, 3.9 fouls per game, everybody. So now you have that information like I do. Now we know. All right, let's get started with a question I'm pretty sure I asked last year, Neil. Which player was born on 9-11-2000? Ooh, 9-11-2000. I don't remember this one. Let's see. Let's see, there's potentially someone who was on the team last year. 2000 that would make them 21 years old he's super young on the team i'm gonna go with uh jaden mcdaniels uh, no unfortunately it is someone who's young on the team and he wasn't technically on the team last year but he was in the media guide that is balmaro Ooh, who, by the way the pronunciation guide also tells us we've been saying his first name wrong it's not leandro it's leandro 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 Bolmaro. Okay. So that one will take some getting used to. Hopefully by the time he's back from Iowa, we've got that one down. Leandro. All right, Neil. Who on the Timberwolves has uh, on the Timberwolves on the Timberwolves? Who on the Timberwolves has a dad named Pius, a mom named Antonia, and has four step siblings or not step siblings, four siblings, one of which is named. Evaristus, E-V-A-R-I-S-T-U-S. Evaristus. I have, no, I have no idea, but the mother's name sounds like Anthony, so I'll go Anthony Edwards. This is uh, J-O. Oh. Josh Kogi. So he's got a little bit of that international, you know, I think. That's right. 
not, these names don't sound too like uh, Americanized. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, uh, that's Jo right there. But speaking of Jo, besides him, who else is a big shoe collector on the team, Neil? Who's the next biggest shoe head behind Jo? Wow, let's see. I'm trying to think. Um, I think I have a good answer. I think I know this one. Um, is it uh, Jalen Noel? Woo! There we go. Right. I'm not sure why I knew that. I feel like I've just heard him say it before, and uh, I can't recall like anybody else talking about this on the team. So, yeah, glad I got that one. All right, I got three more questions, Neil. Number three, I'm pretty sure I may have asked you this last year. Which Timberwolves player is a member uh, in high school is a member of the American Sign Language Club? Ooh, I don't remember this one either. No, uh, huh. Um, let's see, I have no clue. But let's see, if they were someone from last year, I'll go uh, Jordan McLaughlin. It is actually Jaden McDaniels, the quiet guy, Ooh. no sign language. Uh, go figure. Uh, J-Mac, though, I did have a note here. He said his favorite foods are ribs and brownies. Hopefully not at the same time. Jordan or uh, or Jaden? Uh, Jordan's favorite foods are ribs and brownies. Jaden's was a member of the American Sign Language Club. Yes, yes. Well, I got I got picked the wrong J-Mac. You're close. Yeah, <laughs> you could have just said J-Mac, and I probably would have given it to you. you know? just, <laughs> yeah, I got I got to learn to do uh, that. With although that. the media guide in the personal notes for Jordan McLaughlin it says nickname is J-Mac, so it's like he's claiming uh-huh. that in the media guide. So he's like, yeah. I'm the one who put it in the media guide. That's my nickname. Mine, not yours. All right. Uh, two more questions. Neil, who helped his mother open up her own nail salon studio before even signing his first NBA contract? Hmm. Wow. I never heard of this one either. Um, I will guess uh, Malik Beasley. How about Malik? This player also lists his mother as his most influential person growing up and her turkey sausage lasagna as his favorite meal. His new Timberwolf, Patrick Beverly. Oh, turkey... Turkey sausage, nice. Sounds, sounds right. delicious. I love uh, love a sausage and lasagna. Tasty. A little mama's boy, Pat Beth. So that's cool. <laughs> Helping his mom open a nail salon yeah. studio in Houston before even signing with the Rockets. Very cool. All right, Neil, this last question is one that maybe you can reason. You know, Maybe you can just think about it long enough you can get it. My question is, who wears the highest number on the Timberwolves? Huh. Which, which current player has the highest number? Yeah, um, man, Towns is the highest I can think of at 32, so who's more than that? Um, let's see, it's not, um, it's not Nas, it's not Vando, it's not, um, hmm, I don't know who that would be. I mean, Beverly's 22, as we talked about. Um, I've seen some great photos of people pasting his name over oh, the yeah, already. Oh, yeah, Keep it up. I love yeah. him. It's dark. It's a real art. No, I, I, I don't know who, who it is. Uh, I don't even have a guess. Who, who is it? Well, you got to take a guess, Neil. Just pick the, the highest one you can think of. Okay, I will guess Carl Anthony Towns. Hey! <laughs> There's anything beyond that, you know? But no, I know it seems like a trick question because 32 is not that high. I would, you know, I, I'll I'll do the research so I can let you know on a future pod. I'm willing to bet that this is the uh, lowest high number of any team in the NBA. You know, I'm sure every other sure. team in the NBA has a player who wears a number higher than 32. Yeah. It just seems so low. Yeah, at least a mid 30 or something like that. I think the Celtics have every number one through 32 retired already. So you know, Crazy. It's yeah, a whole different do. ball game. I saw Schroeder's wearing like number seven, 70 for them or something. Yeah, yep. You got to get freaky if you're a Celtic. 
Nice. Well, there you go. It's the media uh, media guide game, y'all. It's uh, there's lots of lots of riches to be found inside the media guide. It's available as a PDF on the website, so you don't really Ooh. need to. It was loading uh, fast this year too. They must have optimized Ooh, that sucker. Perfect. It, 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 it was not bogging down my laptop like it normally does. It's a big file. It's hundreds of pages. So. Uh, yeah, it's probably like 300 pages or something. So go check that out if you ever want to learn a little bit more about uh, your favorite Timberwolves player or the history. They got all like the records in the past and stuff like that. So always good to check that out. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's you our can show. Find out that uh, Torian Prince's full name is Torian Waller Prince. He has a hyphenated last name. Perfect. Let's get the hyphen in there. That's great. But yeah, that's that's, right, the, end, you know? that's the end of Wolves Cast for this week. Uh, thanks for hanging in to the end, listening to the game. Yeah, we always have a good time with the game over there at the end. And, uh, yeah, the Wolves are 3-1 uh, and one right now, and it uh, should be a nice, should be a fun week here. Uh, you know, the, the homestand continues. We've got that Bucks game out of the way, and now the, the Wolves are home for, like, you know, four straight games. Now all week they'll be home. We've got Nuggets, Magic, and Clippers before we record our next show. And we don't have y- – if Jokic isn't playing, that Denver game is going to get well, real interesting. Yeah. Then you yep. gotta you got to like our odds against Orlando, although that is the trap game, the game where we might not prepare and get That's you right. know, upset by a Cole Anthony three-pointer at the buzzer to end the game. No, but uh, a, the Clippers, the, Cl- Clippers one G- should be good, too. I think it's interesting with these back-to-backs. You know, we were looking at the early season schedule and saying, oh, you know, those Pelicans games are must-wins. I said, you know what? With back-to-backs, you're only going to win one of them most of the time. That's just the way back-to-backs win. Like, when the Wolves were the way worse team last year, they would go into back-to-backs and take one of two just because I think it's hard to sweep a team in a back-to-back. So we'll see what happens. Expect, expect one win. Be stoked if you get two. Be sad if you get zero. Um, exactly. And yeah, that magic game, homecoming for Jalen Suggs. What if he goes nuts? Just saying. I never know. Um, so we'll see about that one. But yeah, we'll be back uh, next week with another episode of Wolves Cast. Keep it uh, locked to Canis Hoopis. You know, there's tons of good content, lots of podcasts, lots of great stuff over there. And uh, yeah, we'll run it back as we will do all season long, every Friday. Make sure you subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And uh, we'll be back next week with another award-winning episode of Wolvescast. We'll talk to you then. Leave some comments on Canis Hoopers. If we get 10 comments, I'll do a Wolvescast Digest for you. Oh, there you go. You heard it here first. Bye, everybody. Man, we lock up, man. I don't care what nobody say about us. We play uh, the best defense in the league.